James 4, 1 through 10, and I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, to turn and read along as I read aloud from God's Word. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. The book of James is... We have been looking at it together, has a number of very serious and intense passages. This obviously is another one of them. So let's join together in prayer before the Lord as we look at this passage. Dear Lord, we have come to your word to recognize that it is supreme, that it shares in all of your divine qualities. We ask, Lord, this morning that your word would be that. Uh, application in our lives, that word in our lives that would stir our hearts to conviction, that would stir our lives to change. We depend upon you acting through the power of your word to accomplish change in our hearts and in our lives. We submit ourselves to you, Lord. We ask that our hearts would be focused upon what your word says and the desire you have through your word for us. And I pray that my words, Lord, would be faithful to your word because your word is holy. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wondered what it is that causes you to have conflict, fights, arguments, disagreements, and other such unpleasantness, for instance, in your family, with your close friends, with your spouse? With your schoolmates. If you look carefully and listen carefully to the argument and explanations of this passage, you will have a clear understanding of where interpersonal problems that result in fights and quarreling come from. How do they start? Where do they originate from? This passage explains it. Now, as we think about fights and quarreling, we realize very quickly that we as individuals have our own explanations for such problems. For all of us, the explanation is probably pretty much similar. We use it equally, and it's equally simple for all of us. Because as we look at fights and quarreling, what we are all tempted to do and do on a regular basis is this. It's his 
or her fault. We point fingers. And all those fingers are pointing out in other directions rather than in at ourselves and at our own hearts. We blame the other person. Well, if he just hadn't said that, I wouldn't have responded in that way. If she hadn't brought up that subject in that time, in that place, it was the wrong time and the wrong place for her to say that. If she hadn't said it then and there, I wouldn't have had a reaction. We wouldn't have had a problem. Well, I was a little sensitive today, but what he said just plain got under my skin. As we look at God's word and as we look at God's explanation, we see that the reason for our fighting and quarreling with one another and the reason for fighting and quarreling in our world today among all people (coughs) is related to the reasons explained in God's word. It isn't the reasons you and I give. It's God's reasons. Because He is the one who understands the human heart. And He is is the one who understands how we work and how we reason. And how we tend to blame others when we ourselves are at fault. The reason for fighting and quarreling is as a result of inner turmoil. James 4 verse 1 again. What causes fights and quarrels among you? In the next sentence is a question but it's a question given as an answer it's now if you really look at it this is the way the sentence is going it's saying if you really look at it you will agree with what this says won't you don't they come from your desires that battle within you the problem that causes fighting and quarreling is not an external problem it is not due to circumstances It is not due to things beyond our control. It is not due to people over whom we have little or no control. The reason for fighting and quarreling is because there is a problem inside. If I am involved in fighting and quarreling, it's because I have a problem inside my heart. It is inner turmoil. The, The battle is within. It is not without. It comes without. It goes without. It goes to the circle around us. But it starts in our very own hearts inside. Squirm as we might, we must face the problem squarely because the buck stops here. When fighting and quarreling is involved in our lives, the buck stops right here on my desk, in my life, in my heart, in my mind. The interesting thing is, as we look at other people, and we see other people fighting and quarreling, we see the Israelites and the Arabs fighting and quarreling. We see the English and the Irish fighting and quarreling. We see all of these little skirmishes around the world today. And we're easily able to look at those situations and say, well, here's the problem. And we're probably pretty good at defining the problem on each side. Well, these people, if we're being objective and fair, we say, well, these people have this problem and these people have this problem and it really is their own problems. But as a result, they can't leave each other be. But when it comes to looking at our own lives and realizing that we have gotten caught up in fights and quarrels, we have that complete blindness that prevents us from seeing 
The reason for this problem is not the other person's reaction to me. The reason for this problem started out when I got up out of bed this morning. Because the problem got out of bed with me inside my heart. But it's not just an inner problem. The fact is that it's inner turmoil. Because what we see from this first verse is that your desires are battling within you. They're battling within you. It's like a mixer going around, stirring the food. And that mixer goes around and everything in the bowl gets shaken up. And so when we have desires inside of us and we see the effects of these things being fighting and quarreling, what we know is that there's inner turmoil and things are getting shaken up inside. And as we're getting shaken up inside, it comes out in our fighting and quarreling with other people because we're not at peace inside. When there is peace lacking inside, there is peace lacking outside. It is no accident that this particular reference to fighting and quarreling comes at the beginning of chapter 4, which immediately follows chapter 3, verse 18. Peacemakers to sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Well, you might say, at times I'm not at peace with other people. There isn't peace in my life, oftentimes. Well, what's the problem? God is telling us what the problem is. The problem is that we have desires, that they're battling within us, and that as a result, we are taking it out on other people. That's where the cartoon of the the chain of command comes, where the husband comes home and says something nasty to his wife, and wife turns around and says something nasty to the child, and the child turns around... Whammo! There goes the dog. Well, we'd rather see it be a cat. (laughs) Some of you could do it to the cat. (laughs) Or the dog gets the cat. Is that the way it should go? And then the cat gets the mouse. And you've got to stop someplace. But this is the message. (laughs) Don't say that this is what the pastor said the message of this passage was. (laughs) But this this is in essence what is coming to us from this passage. That we take our problems out on other people. We're comfortable saying that, but we really do not want to recognize it when we're dealing with these kinds of issues. When we're dealing with them, we are the last people to say, well, really, I'm taking it out on the other person. If we are willing to say that, the only time in which we're willing to say it is when we're also going to go along and give a rationalization for it. Really, I'm taking my problems out on this other person. But... You don't know what kind of a day I've had. But you don't know all the things that are going on in my life right now. And so all of these buts come in. And the reason for them is to give us an out. It's an excuse. Really, purely and simple is, they come from your desires that battle within you. What are these desires? Verse 2 speaks clearly as to what these desires are. You want something, but you don't get it. These desires are dissatisfaction. There are a few things in life worse than dissatisfaction. If there's one thing that I want to keep out of my life for as long as possible, to root out, to remove as completely as possible, it is dissatisfaction and discontent. Because those things, if you look at the story... Look at the story, for instance, of the Israelites wandering in the desert. Why did they wander in the desert? 
Why did they have problems constantly along the road to the promised land? Dissatisfaction, discontent. Well, I wish we could go back to those pickles and leeks of Egypt. Who wants this nasty old manna anyway? Well, we'd give, a, we'd give anything to see what manna was, wouldn't we? But the question is, and when God gives it to us in our lives, are we happy to see it? It's a great, here's a gift from God. It's food. The Israelites said, ah, nasty old manna. I'm ready for some meat. And so God taught them a lesson and they had meat coming out of their ears. <laughs> they had so much meat. God hates discontent and dissatisfaction because the reason for it is we do not recognize with gratitude what He has given to us. Now, the basic message of our passage is that there are various reasons that we do not recognize it is coming from Him. And I'm not going to get us there at this point yet because I still think we need to look at these inner desires. <coughs> What is it that you want and you don't get? Well, it could be all kinds of things. For the Israelites, it was a particular kind of food they weren't getting any more of. Sometimes it was water. And they just went from one thing to the next. Sometimes Moses wasn't charismatic enough as a leader. Sometimes they just didn't like the fact that he told them what to do. I mean, the, the, the list can go on and on and on and on. Discontent and dissatisfaction is something that I want to avoid like the plague because it is a plague. How do we know it's a plague? Because we see when dissatisfaction and discontent lives in our hearts, then we cannot have peace with other people. When there is dissatisfaction and dis discontent in our hearts, repeat it, we cannot have peace with other people. Now, <clears throat> what do people do? when they are not happy because they haven't gotten what they want. Well, we see in our verse 2, you kill and you covet. But you cannot have what you want. Killing is a pretty dramatic thing. question is, as James wrote this to these people, were they really committing murder? Some of them may have been. Scripture also indicates to us that... In 1 John 3.15, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And we're told by Jesus that if you call your brother a fool or say such things to your brother, you come out of the same judgment as a murderer. And so if we have hatred towards people around us, then we are considered murderers in God's eyes. Because in our hearts we have hated people to the point where we have... In essence, not in reality, but accomplish the fact of murder, killing. You kill and you covet. Where do these things come about? They come about from the fact that inside our hearts, we're not happy with what we've got. We want something different. But look around the world today and see that people who have all the money to buy anything in the world aren't happy. Well, we have an answer for that. We say money can't buy yeah, okay. Money can't buy love. Well, that's not specifically the message of this passage. Because even if money could buy it, what we see in our passage is you kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. It's not a question of the, the money's inability to buy love. 
It's not a question of the relationship between money and love or love and anything else. The problem is you cannot have what you want. And then we come to the latter part in this passage, which is this. God says, why don't you have what you want? Number one, I think I have this printed at the bottom of the bulletin. In the, in the, in the middle of verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask God. But we think, well, that's simple. Okay, just tell these people who don't have what they want. Ask God and he'll give it to you. You'll have what you want. And then you'll be at peace. You'll not have turmoil. You'll not have dissatisfaction. You won't have discontent. Because all of a sudden you'll have it all. And when you have it all, what need is there for discontent? Well, we see with people who have money to buy everything but perhaps love. They're still discontented. Why? Well, we come to that specific saying in our passage that says you cannot have what you want. Why can't I? Why can't I? Because God won't give it to you. Why won't God give it to me? Because you do not ask. That's the first reason. But in case you stop there and said, okay, I'm going to start asking. And all of a sudden, I'll have it. And if I have everything I want, then I will be content. If I have leeks and onions and watermelons like the Israelites want, I'll be happy. I'll be happy if I just get leeks and onions and watermelons. We got asked yesterday when we were going to have watermelon again. I said, well, probably not until next summer because watermelon only comes along every so often. The Israelites wanted it. They wanted all these good things and they thought in their hearts, oh, when I have it, I will be happy. And so they asked for it. Did they get it? No. <laughs> There's another reason. If you follow along, <clears throat> you see, do you do not have because you do not ask God. And so, from a positive standpoint, the first thing we need to realize is we must ask God. This, this verse in this context is not speaking in a positive standpoint. But I think we need to pull the positive points out of it in order to say, how do you get out of this vicious circle, which is discontent, fueled by the fact that I don't have what I want, fueled by the fact that then I'm constantly never at peace with those around me. I'm at war, I'm fighting, I'm quarreling. How do you get out of this vicious circle? And when I'm at war and fighting and quarreling, I'm not happy because I want to be happy with my spouse and with my family and with my friends. I want to be, I want to be at peace with them. I want them to enjoy me and me to enjoy them. Isn't that what life is all about? We want to, to, to love our family and be loved by our family and be at peace with our family and have them at peace with us. Okay, so ask God. Ask God. But the problem is that it does not stop with asking God. Because the passage tells us in verse 3, when you ask, you do not receive. So it's not a question of money can't buy love. Telling those people, well, ask God and you'll get it. There's more to it. You have to ask with the right motives. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, oftentimes, if you're like me and you look at your motives, you say, Ooh, man, it's going to be a hard time getting these motives in line. I don't like my motives. And I think to myself, well, you know, what's going on? How can I make my motives right? 
God isn't telling us here that we have to be perfect before we come to Him and ask for Him, ask from Him. In verse 6, He tells us this, He gives us more grace. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. His desire is to satisfy us. His desire is to remove discontent and dissatisfaction from our vocabulary and from our lives entirely. And He doesn't desire to do that by our making ourselves perfect. He desires to do it by giving us more grace, by teaching us what needs to be taught. And so what he's saying is, if you come to me and you say, listen, this is what I don't have. If I just have, I think this is a good example for the whole thing, leeks, watermelons. If I just have leeks and watermelons, I'm going to be happy. God, please give me leeks and watermelons. Now, what do those things signify in your life? Do they signify money? Do they signify certain things in your marriage or your family? Do they signify job success? Do they signify things that money can buy? What are leeks and onions? Well, as we look at this passage, what God is saying is, don't come and ask me for leeks and onions so that you can gobble them up. He does not want us asking with motives that we may spend what we get on our pleasures. Do you know the word hedonism? The word hedonism is people who revel in satisfying their personal pleasures. That word personal pleasures there is the root of hedonism. In other words, people are asking with wrong motives that they may spend what they get on hedonism. Let's have a great time. Let's spend it up. Let's use it up. I want to consume it. And the example that comes to mind from Scripture is the story of the prodigal son. He said, now dad, give me my inheritance because I'm going out and I'm going to have a ball. Give me my money because I want to have a blast. So he got his money and he went out and he had a blast. But all of a sudden that blast wasn't what it was cracked up to be. And it says he ran out. The well ran dry, and he had no more. And when he had no more, he realized that what he had been doing was not satisfying. It was having a blast according to the standards of the day, but he had given up more than he had gained. So what God is saying to us is quarreling and fighting. Fighting and quarreling. Dissatisfaction with other people. Those things that cause outer turmoil are the result of inner turmoil. Inner turmoil turmoil is the result of dissatisfaction with what you have. And the reason you're not happy with what you have is because you don't have what you want. And you won't get what you want, even if you get what you want. Even if you get what you want, you won't have what you want. You say, well, I want a house and a car and a boat. And I want a big boat. And I don't ever want to have to rake my leaves again. <laughs> so you've got a house and a car and a boat. You don't ever, Well, you live on a lake. <laughs> you don't have to rake the leaves off the lake. That's a possibility. But you've got it all. And you say, ah, I'm still not happy. Well, why is it? Is it because you don't have what you want? Well, yes. At the root, fundamentally, it is because you don't have what you want. Because what you wanted was satisfaction. You wanted contentment. You wanted happiness. You wanted to be at peace. And God says, the reason for that is because I won't let you have it. 
And why won't I let you have it? For two reasons. Number one, you never asked me. Number one, you never recognized that I was God and I'm the provider of all good gifts. And you never came to me and said, oh God, please give me good gifts. You never recognized me. We look at the world and our culture today and we look at the terrible things that are happening. And we see that all of these things can be ticked off. One, two, three. They're the result of the fact that America has gotten all of this wealth and lived on all of this wealth for all these years. And we have been just like God described the Israelites would be. We've gotten fat and we've said, I'm the one who brought in this wealth. Thank you, thank you. It is because of me that this wealth came. And as a result, we don't look to God and praise Him and ask Him for things. Because we say, I don't need it from God. I can accomplish it myself. Who needs God? That's what we are saying as a nation. That is what we are saying as a nation. Who needs God? Why ask God? Why talk to God? You don't need to talk to God. As a matter of fact, we're going to go one step further. You're not allowed to talk to God in certain places at certain times. Okay. Can't do it. Is it any wonder that we have the example Jim gave this morning? A lady and her four-year-old child burned to death in Conorock. The people thought that the two who were on trial were guilty because one of them had had a fight with the husband of that woman that night over a car that had been bought and sold between the two of them. As a result of this fighting, then one of them supposedly went out and burned the house down, killing two people. Why do we have such increasing fighting and quarreling in our country? Why do we have murder? You kill and you covet. Why do we have rampant abortion? And the people in our country say, hey, that's okay. Because there's discontent. And at the root of it is people will not recognize God. And when you will not recognize God, God says, uh-uh. And we'll give it to you. Being a parent, what do you do as a parent? If your child asks you, that's number one. Great. If you want something, ask me. Don't get the things off the counter. You are not to touch the counter. If you want something, you ask me. Okay, so that's the first loop, right? Step through the loop, recognize that someone has to be asked for this. And you have to recognize someone. The second loop is, how are you asking? What is your heart attitude? We see a problem with regard to that in Christian culture in our country today. Because so many people believe in the view that if you're a Christian, then things should go well. It's not a big issue in this area. But it is in certain other areas of the country and somewhat in this area as well. Health and wealth. If you're a Christian, then sure you should be wealthy and sure you should be healthy. Well, what are you asking for these things for? Are you asking for them so that you can benefit others or just so that you can appear to be a good Christian because you're healthy and wealthy? God is saying, first ask. If you expect it from me, then you had better ask. Otherwise, you'll have discontent because you never ask and you will never get it because I won't let you have it. The second hurdle to go over is what are the motives? So your child comes to you and says, Daddy, may I have that? In that phrase of voice, in that tone, sounds pretty good. I'm just human, though. I don't know what's inside the heart. A child can fool me. A child can fool you. We can't fool God. God looks inside and says, well, what do you want it for? And we say, well, I just want it so that I can help everybody. I don't think so. I think you want it so you can look good. 
I think you want not to ever have to rake a leaf again because you are lazy. God wants us to ask Him for the right motives. Not just ask, but ask with the right motives. And when we do, He promises in our passage, He gives us more grace. He will work things out so that there is peace in our hearts. And there being peace in our hearts, then that's the only way it's possible for there to be peace in our lives with other people. But until we get these messages straight, God wants us to ask, God wants us to have the right motives, not to satisfy ourselves. That's the wrong motive. He wants us to ask with the right motives. There won't ever be peace in our hearts. There won't ever be peace in our relationships with others. There won't ever be peace in our country. Look at this passage to find the description of the root of the evil in our country today and in the world today. Look at this passage to find out the explanation as to why, if you are having problems with other people that are related to your fighting with them. Now, fighting is always a two-way street. There are certain things that aren't. Someone does something evil to you, then you can react in a way which is not evil back as God tells us to do. God is explaining the way things are, and we need to understand them, to come to him, to ask him for good gifts, and to ask that others might be blessed, not that we would have our pleasures met. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask that you would teach us your message from this passage. We do recognize you. We do ask you for good gifts. And we ask you, truly, Lord, we desire to ask you that the gifts that you give to us might be showered abundantly and freely on those around us, not hoarded selfishly by ourselves, but instead used to bless others. We ask this, Lord, because we want to honor you and because you tell us to do it this way. We ask this also, Lord, recognizing that you promise in doing this to take away discontent from our hearts, to take away dissatisfaction and instead to put peace in our hearts that there might be peace in our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.